0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Pattern, where we're at the intersection of machine learning and business. Neil here, and this week I interviewed Oleg Roginski, founder of a company called People AI. Now what People AI do is they provide insights into how your sales team is running. So whether that means looking into individual sales reps and how active they are, to looking into different sales pipelines and you know different deals that are in progress it gives you the tools to to visualize and also predictive power on top of what's going on in your sales team clearly there's a lot of value to this and if done right extremely powerful now people ai is definitely one of those companies that I will be keeping my eye out for in the future because after talking with Oleg, which was a fascinating interview, I realized how well that company is positioning itself. Because machine learning startups are so nascent as an industry, I've always been very interested in finding out new ways and new tactics that companies are using to build out their competitive advantage. And Oleg is doing something I've never considered and never thought could be a competitive advantage which is which I thought was very very fascinating they are doing the data aggregation they are building out a data repository aggregating data sources and it's a theme we've consistently talked about that the more data you have the you know faster better stronger your learning algorithms will be oleg and people ai are focusing on something that we haven't talked a, l- a- a lot about and that is data quality. So sales teams generally do have a lot of data, they have these CRM systems with lots of data in them and it is no secret that there are a ton of tools and ton of companies out there that try to take that data and apply predictive algorithms to it. But what People AI has seen is that that data is inaccurate, it's noisy and the problem with using noisy data and learning off of that is that the patterns you predict are then noisy because they have to overcome all that inaccuracies. This is things like, you know, missing missing information or incorrect information entered into the system. In general, when you have noisy data to learn off of, the patterns you predict almost find patterns in the noise themselves, right? It's a form of, it's called, it's called overfitting. And Oleg is explicitly handling that by taking only data sources that are accurate and reliable that's one competitive advantage the other which i I never considered before is that he's also building out a repository of model insights and what do i mean by that i mean that generally when we've talked about pattern prediction and machine learning it is uh, about predicting some outcome given these inputs what is the output so Uh, In this case, it is, you know, given the state of a sales pipeline, how likely is this sale going to close or not close? But why? Why does the algorithm think that? What about the either what the sales rep is doing, what the sales rep is not doing, or, you know, what the customer is doing leads the learning algorithm to predict that the sales cycle Is the sale is not going to close because that's the true power here The true power is not just saying it's going to close, but why is there something that I can do? That can mitigate this if the sales pipeline is not going. Well, what can I do? Do I need to email a C-level executive in the next couple of hours because I found that? Doing that is highly correlated with the sales closing and With each new customer that Oleg and People.ai is bringing on, they are not only increasing the amount of data in their system and thus, you know, the accuracy of the algorithms, but they're also finding more and more models to get the insight from this data that is actually linked to the real world. And how they are doing that is by being a consulting service at first so they're working alongside their customers to say hey here's your data let's visualize it let's predict you know how well each of these sales cycles is doing and then let's really look at it you know with a fine tooth comb with our consulting team us together to figure out well what are the actionable things we can take away from this and then using those you can then work with a single customer you know develop a single insight model and then apply it retroactively to all your other customers. It's pretty genius, and is definitely a source of competitive advantage because as as time goes on, he's just gonna generate more and more of these these models. So that's towards the end of the interview, which we'll get to soon, but I really want you to keep these two high-level concepts in your mind as you listen to the interview. So let's start with how Oleg, Describes
1: people AI. Hey Neil, hey. nice uh, nice being here. Thank you for inviting me. So what do we do with people AI? Please, yeah. Our our bet is that activity data of employees is one of the most underutilized data sets out there. Basically, nobody knows better about what's going on in your business, how your customers feel and what to do The your employees, except that we are not listening to them in a kind of data-driven format. We are communicating with them ad hoc in a kind of human one-to-one relationships, but there is very little data being collected. And so what we do at AI, we start with sales teams. We are collecting all of the activity data of the sales teams, be it email, calendar, phone, text messaging, uh, Zoom, go to meeting all the events they produce during their work day, and we look for patterns in that behavior that correlate to successes or failures. And then once we find these patterns, we productize them as a way to make everybody on the team better.
0: Wow, well, first off, thank you for describing it in the form of a pattern. Very much appreciate that. Uh, So it it seems like you Aggregate almost all the sales data possible mm-hmm. you you I, I I was reading online that you're almost the only company that does that, which is a pretty incredible engineering feat in the first place mm-hmm. where does the post the data aggregation mm-hmm. where do you use the machine learning where does that that comes in through taking these sources and saying what are the most important factors to actually
1: closing a deal even before that even before that the Data we aggregate is so disparate and so unreliable, there's a lot of blanks in it. Huh. Stitching the data together is really hard. I mean, how many perfectly maintained CRMs have you seen? Probably none. Uh, it's impossible to
0: get any sales rep to fill out any fields. Exactly. <laughs> even making it required, they'll
1: figure out a way around it. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. they'll put in a uh, QWERTY there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, ASDF.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so uh, we apply machine learning in a whole bunch of areas of the data prep and data stitching, even before we get to pattern recognition.
0: Oh, so how could you describe a little bit more of that process?
1: For example, you have an email. Send to GE.com. Mm-hmm. Uh but you have 15 G.com accounts in your Salesforce for different subsidiaries of GE. How do you know which of the GEs this email is related? Well, how well how does how do you know which of the GEs? There's a the whole I mean this is where the patent stuff comes in, mm-hmm. but we're looking at thousands of features around what we know internally inside people AI about GE and their company structure and which people have been involved in which kind of relationships within GE universe we've seen as well as every piece of data we find related to GE within your systems. Mm-hmm. And then based on thousands of, or if not millions of data points we have about every company and every relationship that, that's happening within your sales team, we predict which of these GEs is the right GE. What a massive undertaking.
0: That is pretty incredible, to say that you are able to data mine a lot of the information through, I'm assuming, things like LinkedIn
1: or uh, other, other data sources like Actually, that. Actually, we don't, we don't use any external data sources. You don't use any external, you just... The, the core of our business is that the data has to be 100% reliable, and so we consciously walk away from any data sources that do not have hundred percent reliability,
0: ah, uh, and that's just to make sure that your models are learning from from the correct, unnoisy. Data. You don't have to deal with overfitting anything like that because exactly. it's clean and pure. Yeah. Oh, very interesting. That poses a lot of business benefits, but also a lot of challenges. Much harder. Much harder. Where do you get some of this data from? If it's not
1: from LinkedIn, so, so that's the secret sauce. That's- Our data sources. Uh, and how we combine them are one of the kind of core pieces to our success. Ah, uh,
0: interesting. This is and it's all coming. If if you might, don't mind me asking, from internal customer data.
1: There's internal and there's external. However, external data we rely on is not your typical suspects like LinkedIn or scraping or whatever it is. Ah. Plus, until last week, it was totally illegal.
0: So you you started off with uh, you know, 2006 doing machine <laughs> learning. Um, you doing then sales, sales a, on machine learning sales, on, yeah, yeah. sales on, on machine learning and when did you realize that you wanted to get into machine learning on sales
1: <laughs> so then I went to another company called LexaLytics which was doing natural language processing mm-hmm. and mostly focused on sentiment and I helped build out a sales team there and I was running it and it was, it was, I didn't know how to properly manage them there was no data and then I started my own company, Symantria same story, I had a bunch of salespeople. I had no idea what they were doing and how to make them better. Then I joined H2O, a machine learning mm-hmm. company. h mm-hmm. was a fabulous, yeah. Really helped fabulous. them build out sales team and marketing team there. Again, zero. Th- that this time I was on the marketing side of the game and I was looking for a way to see what the, what's working or what's not working for the sales team in terms of marketing output. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, I couldn't get any data. So when I was thinking about starting a new company, I was wondering what is my, what had been my biggest challenge. I realized it had been figuring out what the sales team is doing, are they doing the right thing, and how do I make them better? So that led me to, to, to People AI. It's people AI, and uh,
0: when you were trying to decide on that, there was a moment where you decided, w- what was the moment when you decided, I actually can't figure out all the models, but I, what I can do is I can get the cleanest data set out there. How did that realization, because when did that realization The realization
1: happened when I looked at Salesforce data of, 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 of a typical company. I started yep. working with several of my friends. Hey, can I see your Salesforce data? And what I learned is that if you want to match activity data onto someone's Salesforce, you typically will get 15% data match. Mm-hmm. And so basically all of the world's sales analytics right now are driven by data availability. I mean, a coin toss gives you higher results than what you get out of your Salesforce right (laughs) now. I was going
0: to say the common adage, right? You're not doing better than 50%. Uh Wow, so then immediately you realize the value in um, in getting the data and getting a clean quality data set. Yeah. Uh, were there any data sets that you i i this might be something you alluded to before that you didn't quite want to press on, but uh, any data sets you found surprising in the quality that came from it?
1: I mean we only pick data sets with hundred percent
0: quality so only like, uh, I mean, like, even even sales is salesforce of that fifteen
1: percent salesforce percent of hundred salesforce quality? is not our data set.
0: Salesforce is not. No. Oh, I, I remember reading Salesforce Sync. Um, yeah. as a integration. But that's we not. we
1: we put data into Salesforce as a way to fix Salesforce. But we oh. don't rely on Salesforce as a data source. Oh. You're... We assume we inherently assume that Salesforce is going to have unreliable data.
0: Oh, so you really are trying to go to the grassroots of? it didn't quite click before but things like Gmail, things like actual calls made, yep. those are
1: the sources of truth here. Yeah,
0: Interesting, and that's how you can then
1: make your Salesforce great again.
0: Make your Salesforce great again. And that's what uh, a lot of your machine learning is, is doing initially, is stitching yeah. together these calls with these numbers, with these emails, with this organizational structure of a company yep. to then tie it together and create a coherent picture. So Oleg makes it a very clear point that data quality is core to his business. Salesforce just has noisy data and he's there to clean it up by only using very clean and pure data sources. And I just wanted to make sure everyone had an intuition as to why that made sense. So imagine that you're looking at a spreadsheet and you see in one column the size of the house and the next column is the price of the house it should be pretty clear that as you know in general as the size goes up the house of the price goes up pretty intuitive now imagine you were looking at that same spreadsheet but there were a hundred other columns filled out and these columns had almost arbitrary information in them. Things like, oh, what was the occupation of the past resident? Uh, how many birds are in the area? What's the walking distance to the closest 7-Eleven? And you could get a sense that with so much extra noise in that spreadsheet, finding the true patterns, the patterns that actually relate to real life, become becomes that much more difficult. And not only that, but... You'd almost be able to, if you looked hard enough, uh, to find patterns in that noise. It could just happen—a non-trivial probability that if you have a lot of birds then around the area, then then your house price goes up. That's not a real pattern, but it could just be there because the noise just happened to be generated that way. And machine learning algorithms work the same way, where if you feed them all this noise, they could just find an arbitrary pattern that doesn't actually map to something in the real world. And the problem there, this is a problem called overfitting, by the way. The problem there is that when you then pass in new information, you, you you train your algorithm on one set of data, and then it becomes very tuned to that noise, and then you pass it new data, new test data, the output you get is not accurate because it's not tuned for that, the, the test noise. And so the value of your machine learning system just drastically decreases. This is a common problem. Uh, Healthcare has to deal with it a lot because healthcare data is very noisy as well. And it's really something you should keep top of mind when you're thinking about building a machine learning algorithm. It might not be that you need to collect all the data, but you just need to collect very pure clean data. So, Then Oleg goes into a little bit on what actual insights is his product delivering. So you have all of these data sources that you've put together. Now I have to step between what your current product is Mm -hmm. and what I could see your product being. Your current product, to inform our listeners, is... There's heavy branding around training and ramp up time for new sales reps, mm-hmm. a way to visualize all the sales sales team data and correlate it with closed deals, Yes, right? That I can assume is a very conscious choice initially. Could you tell me a little about why you started with this
1: and then, yeah. and also the, the elephant in the room, where do you wanna be? Sales process is the, one of the most structured business processes out there. At any given point in time, you have enough data to assume from in terms of where this deal is, what is this person doing, is he doing the right thing, and uh, what is he supposed to do next. There's a lot of context and there's a lot of structure which makes this much easier. And there's a lot of data. So we chose sales teams because of data availability and simplicity of the business process as well as... Standardization of the business process. Most of the companies run sales in the same way, as long as you segment the types of sales teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you can safely assume that I don't know AppDynamics and Splunk have similar sales processes.
0: The sales cycle is
1: relatively consistent. Exactly. Lead generation, messaging, quality gen- follow up, everything, stages. Decision makers and so on and so on. This was going to be
0: a question I was going to get to, but it was the standardization of that. I know there are other PR material out there for you that almost calls it a play, automating a playbook, yep. a sales playbook. Um, and it seems like right now you're at the stage of visualizing it with 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 slight automation. And um, are you going to start? How, how much of that so automation Q4. is that's key? Yeah. So
1: so so we, we we've done that. We have customers using it right now where. Yeah. We can ingest your data, we can find what are the common things that work, and then we can recommend them to the team, uh, as well as tell you who is doing those common things and that's why they're successful versus who is not doing those things, and you should use People AI to set goals for them and enforce Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. completion of the best practices that we detected. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's all that insight to action.
1: I could almost see you being the
0: reminders, hey, don't spend this much time on this piece of the sales cycle, focus on this customer, they're going to Very, very simple
1: things. Like for example, follow up within four hours after a meeting with a C-level executive increases your chances of closing a deal by a lot. Uh, Guess how many reps do that follow up? Six percent. Six percent?
0: Yeah. Much lower, I would have have
1: guessed it would have been the inverse. Consistently within four hours.
0: Ah, ah.
1: People do it three days later. As an afterthought. Huh. But we have data proving it is a linear correlation.
0: And not only that, but I'm
1: guessing because you've got it all ingested, then
0: you don't even you could almost just tell them, hey It's time to do it's it. It's time to do it. Exactly. Yeah. And if
1: you don't do it, we'll tell your manager. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Good incentive system. Yeah. <laughs> that is extremely interesting. So diving into a little bit of making it explicit on what exactly machine what machine learning is going on there it seems like the inputs how would you describe the inputs and outputs there this is more to make it a little bit more
1: tacti- tactical so inputs is any kind of activity any kind of activity and activity in our case it's an event an event be it a sent email and placed phone call a sent document a received email etc cetera.
0: Huh. so are you are your inputs essentially a, a sequence of events yeah. over time yeah. Got it's a timeline business. A timeline a time time business. Time series, I mean. So time series, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is, if, you, if we could think about it, you know, a little technically comparing it to something like stock price prediction, mm-hmm. exactly. it would be same sort Very of thing. Very similar. Time series, you see the patterns, how things go, and then the end result is yes, no, deal close So we
1: built, yeah, we built uh, our user interface when customers, by using our product for other purposes. Mm-hmm. Our users are labeling the patterns for us.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So the more users we have on the platform, the more labels of behavior we have, and the more we know which behavior is good and bad. Interesting. So your product gets stronger with, with every additional with every every click user, you make in the product.
0: Every click you make in the product. I was going to ask if it was almost you know there's one approach of having models for each individual customer. It seems like you guys have a shared model that. We have both,
1: both individual customer models and shared models, Ah. by role and by industry.
0: By role and by industry, and which is which?
1: I mean, or, we, or, have, or, we have per customer model, and then we have model for product managers. We have a model for sales directors. We have model for sales executives over, uh, that sell products over $100,000. Uh, so you are looking at
0: the sequence of events that a, that a sales executive would do and the results deal, closed, no closed, yep. the same series of events but for more of a regional sales manager or something yep. like that, deal, no closed, and then by industry as well. Yep. Uh, so this would be, uh, how would you describe it by industry? Uh, what do
1: sales managers do in pharma?
0: What do sales managers do in pharma? And the, the output there isn't any particular deal, closed, no closed. How would... How would I mean, for a
1: for, for manager, it's success, uh, the, the output is success of his reps. Do his reps close or not close deals? Ah, so you're looking at? Because we have org charts as well.
0: You have org charts again, it's almost a probability at the end, yeah. the percentage of yeah. deals closed, and not And we closed. also
1: see their coaching communications because uh, there's only one reason why you would have a meeting in your calendar with another person and you're, only, you're the only two ones invited and there is a repetitive pattern to you having those once a week.
0: Yeah. If I, without digging too much in, because you, you mentioned this being your secret sauce, is there any way that you would describe the inputs and outputs? there there's the we, we talked about before it's like once you have the data the input is the timeline series mm-hmm. and the output is deal close, no yeah. closed no yeah. closed for stitching together data yeah. is there an intuitive way to think about how the how what patterns are being predicted there i mean for, for stitching the data is a lot of manual is it just a lot of manual
1: work no there's or, no manual work there at all it's, mm-hmm. fully automated. it's fully automated it's more of lack of id coverage on data your ids don't match mm-hmm. like a same person can have a hundred different ids mm-hmm and different data points can have different IDs there basically figuring out that ID1 and ID2 is the same person is the hard thing
0: what do you if you let's say you do create a prediction you have these two IDs and yeah. the output is the so same we person. We, see,
1: we see that here's an ID1 a person emailing these 20 people regularly the email address that emails these 20 people regularly mm-hmm. and there's a phone number that calls these 20 people regularly oh <laughs> Chances are that this phone number and the email belongs to the same person.
0: Okay, so it's almost a uh, a clustering. Does does is it is it a, is it more of a statistical type machine learning versus? Yeah. Are you using any neural nets there? Uh or no. It's all statistical clustering, mm-hmm. more Bayesian probabilities that you're yep. that you're using for that side of things. Oh, that makes a ton. Of, that makes a ton of sense. Yep. And then you use once you have that clean data set, it's more
1: yep. of a neural net. I'm imagining yep. once, neural once, nets once, yeah. to once the data is clean, you can you can have fun with neural nets.
0: So I'm really glad that the interview went this way because it really dives down into the trenches of machine learning and some of the more technical terminology of algorithms employed. I just wanted to give a quick recap. Uh, first, we started with time series predictions, and at a high level, that's just saying given data that occurs on a on a time series, predict some outcome. So, in stock price prediction, it's the price of stocks of a stock over time, and the outcome is your you know the stock price in a week, a month, a year. In People AI's case, it is the series of events that leads up to a deal, and then whether or not that deal will close. So uh, one of the algorithms employed here, which I, I think I mentioned, is recurrent neural networks. Neural networks come in different shapes and sizes, and recurrent neural networks are the sort that deal very well with sequence data. And time series is one big sequence on the axis of time. Um, the other machine learning uh, algorithm that we talked about is more of statistical classification so what this means is that given a set of data points that all have their own features it's grouping them together based off of how common how similar or dissimilar these different data points are are so if you have two emails and you have a bunch of features on those emails describing that that email and we statistically say that these are similar emails based off of their features then Oleg is saying, well, we can then conclude that these emails are actually to the same person. And that's, that's sort of a difference between a more of a statistical machine learning model versus a neural net type model. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what we brought up in the beginning of the episode. And that is the competitive advantage that AI is building out through the models that provide insight into the data. We have the models that say, hey, let me predict how well this sale, this sales pipeline is doing. You know, is it likely to close, likely to not close? But these are the models that say why. Uh, what are the actionable insights that you can gain from this? What is my rep doing or not doing that is the reason for that prediction of a poor sales pipeline? The issue here with the state of machine learning is that learning algorithms have a really hard time taking the patterns that they predict and mapping them back to real world the real world real life applications and how is people ai overcoming this well they've actually built out a consulting arm where they are combining machine intelligence and human intelligence so you could imagine something like the machine intelligence saying hey here's a list of all the dicey deals in the pipeline and then a consulting team comes around and starts Tweezing apart that data to understand commonalities and from there generate actual insights So it seems like with every move you make you're getting that much more information in the system yeah. which Begs me to answer the to ask the question of it's almost like machine learning exploration versus exploitation mm-hmm. How much are you doing research and development on what this new piece of information is giving you mm-hmm. versus how much are you building out your product? Where's that? Where's the balance between R&D and um So there's a very interesting answer to that.
1: There's an interesting answer to that. We let our customers do R&D. So when we built our visualization platform, we made it as flexible as possible, and we put it on top of a very reliable data set. And basically what we do right now, so our customer success team, these are all ex-McKinsey guys, They go to customers and they tell them, look, here's what the platform can do today, but we have all the data. Is there anything else you want to know from the data? So customers are giving us requests with the data, then my guys go and build custom reports for them. They query the data, they all know how to do R, they all know how to do SQL. We pull in the data, we produce nice decks, We, we give them nice reports, and then we see if the other customers want to do the same report. Once we've done the same report five times, that that's a signal to build to build a workflow around it, to, to produce this report. And that basically tells us that that's where customers are interested in. And so then we start thinking, how can we automate the insight around that report? Not just, hey, here's an interesting report, give it to us. But how can we proactively find, what is the problem they're trying to identify with that report? Mm-hmm. Because what is a problem? A problem is an activity pattern. So they tell us what is the activity pattern they're looking for, what is the high-value activity pattern, both either (coughs) negative or positive. The moment we figure out that this is the activity pattern, this is how it should look, Mm -hmm. we then go and build it as an insight, a proactive insight. Then, that's when the aha moment happens with the customer. We then go into all existing customers because we have historical data, and we surface the insight. And we say, did you know that X happened on your team? And you never asked us for it, but we found it for you.
0: (laughs) That's beautiful. I was reading your case study on Gain ins- Gain site. Yeah. And one of the statistics I remember reading was the customer response time. Mm-hmm. Is this how that happened? They yep. they you surfaced the data to them, something they'd never seen before. They went through it, found this high correlation, this mm-hmm. pattern that, oh, some 96% is always related to a, a sales closing. Mm-hmm. Or or yeah. that sort of and then you've suddenly included that in your product. Yep. Ah, that is That's fascinating. So what drove the Gain Insight,
1: your contact there, Mm -hmm. to to doing that exploration themselves? So they they didn't know why uh, they were missing their forecast. Mm. They forecasted certain revenue at Gain Insight, and they missed it. And so they had a very smart and data-driven VP revenue operations Mm -hmm. who started digging into data. And then he realized that he doesn't have the data. He couldn't get anything reliable out of their systems he started looking for a solution that has all the data by default and it was only us. Got it. And then he actually did the digging himself. He, he you can export data out of our system. He exported it and he played with it in Tableau and he found the correlation. He came to us like, Hey guys, can you turn it into a weekly email for me? Uh, We turned it into a weekly email and we started seeing massive engagement rates from the email because thousands of opens would happen for every email. I mean, what it means that he would forward it around, and people around uh, the email would go through the whole company, and, and then suddenly we show the same email to a bunch of other customers. They're like, "Wow, we never thought of it, but this is great." So there you have it. People AI
0: definitely a company we should all be watching out for as they go on to do great things. This was one of my favorite episodes because it really highlighted some of the novel tactics for a go-to-market strategy for machine learning startups, I definitely learned a lot, and I hope you all did too. So with that, this is the end of this week's episode. As always, drop us a line, send us an email to connect or advice. We'd love to hear from you. Our email is hello at patternml.com. And if you get the chance, it would be great if you could go onto iTunes and give us a rating if you like us.
1: Thank you.